Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to go to a familiar passage this morning. Let me just say that it's really good to be here. Glad to have a voice. As most of you know, I didn't get to come, what was it, October, I think. Um, back then, I, I really had no voice for like three weeks. It's the worst thing I've ever, uh, worst time I've ever had with my voice. And uh, I don't know if it was a blessing to my wife or not, but <coughs> she didn't say it was. So glad to have my wife, Renee, with me today. She doesn't always get to travel with me, but uh, we didn't travel far, obviously, to get here. And my son, David, just came back from school on Friday. And uh, so it's great, great to have a time of celebration, and we're here to celebrate. I've enjoyed celebrating with you this morning, and uh, all the songs uh, you, that were picked, like, just go right with this verse that we're going to be talking about. And I love, like you said, how the Christmas hymns in particular just seem to really go through the gospel and then point to that future time when Jesus is going to come back again. He's not coming just as a babe. Man, there's a lot of things for us to celebrate. Um, Friday uh, afternoon, the, the Wilds of New England staff got invited to lead the caroling at a historical site in Deering. There's a church, and the historical society asked us to come and lead. And so there's probably about 30 people there. And so Joe, he picked out all the, the, the carols, and almost all of them were right from the hymnal that <laughs> Joe picked. Uh, we put a couple of traditional, you know, fun songs in there, but... And as I was singing, I'm like, this is the gospel. I just let it rip. I was trying to point, look at people and just, hey, do you know the king was born for you? You know, I just, I wish I could just get up there and start preaching. In fact, it was held at an old church, the 1830s. It was built there in Deering, and, and it's all, you know, no one uses it right now. I walked in there, I'm like, man, I could preach in there. <laughs> this is a great little church in here. Anyways, uh, great time of celebration, uh, we, and we have a lot to celebrate. In Luke chapter 2, um, the angel said to them, don't be afraid, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And that's us. We're not even Jews. Um, we're part of that all people. Isn't that wonderful? So much to celebrate. So much to celebrate. In fact, uh, I think it's interesting that the Jews had six major holidays. I won't go through all of them. And almost all of them. You know what they did during their holiday, or their holy days, actually? They ate. <laughs> Amen. Uh, God, God created us to have parties with food, and he include, He always, uh, these things were always times of community. I, I just think we don't always know why we're celebrating and what we're doing sometimes, and I think it is good for us to celebrate intentionally. We should celebrate intentionally. We should celebrate together. We should celebrate intentionally. It's just, it was several years ago, this really hit me that I, I didn't really celebrate intentionally. Yeah, it's Christmas, yeah, 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 you know, it's great, parties and food, and you know, some of my favorite foods come out of Christmas. And uh, then it's like, you know, this is actually biblical. And God gave us the ability to enjoy food and to enjoy each other, and that's part of his feasts. And I thought, we should do this, I need to do this more intentionally. Uh, th there are three tenses of Christmas. There's past. And we, we do celebrate that Jesus was born. Aren't you glad he was born? He was human, he, and he was yet God. And we celebrate uh, in, the, in the present because Jesus is still alive. There's so great reason to celebrate Christmas because that baby is still alive, that king. And we celebrate the future because Jesus will come again. 
and we'll see him again. So, man, you're talking about great reasons to celebrate. I hope you enjoy this season. And so thank you for letting me be part of your celebration. We're going to explore one verse uh, this morning. It's not an unfamiliar verse to any of you. Isaiah 9-6. But um, I, I actually, I'm just going to tell you, I got thrown off a little bit as I was, I was trying to be fair to the context. So I went back this morning. I started rereading some commentaries. I went back and read the, the context of where we find this real treasure trove of a, of a verse. And it comes in the, some of the darkest prophecies. Here's Isaiah. He's mainly prophesying to Judah, but he's, now he's talking to Israel, who's about to get annihilated by Assyria. And if you really want some context, you've got to go all the way back to chapter 8, verse 1, and really pick up the context there. And, and he, but he's also warning Judah, like, hey, you know, you're not any better than your, your uh, brothers up north. Um, this is going to come to you too. And in the midst of this prophecy of destruction, all of a sudden there is this turn of the corner, so to speak. And Isaiah is going to pronounce to them, just hold on though, in the middle of all of this agony, I want you to know about the king who is coming. And uh, so let's just read verse 6. <clears throat> and he says here, and as he turns the corner a little bit, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Aren't you glad for that day is coming? There will be no end to his kingdom and to his peace. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom and to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, for even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of the host has, will perform this. Isn't that amazing? I, just, I, I love this passage. But I want to be, be fair to the passage because here is a group of Israelites. And, you know, here's this prophet standing up in the time of a lot of uncertainty. And Isaiah wasn't necessarily a real popular guy to them because he he was telling them like it is you know this is what's going to happen you guys have rejected god and this is what's going to happen here's the price that's going to have to be paid i'm telling you ahead of time assyria is not your friend they're going to come they're going to wipe you guys out i just want you to know uh babylon babylon is not your friend um and and this this destruction is coming and then in the middle of all this he says verse six for unto us a child and he said, there is, there's coming a day when, a, when a, a, a literal human baby will be born. And this, this little phrase really refers to the, as we know, to the, de not the deity, but the humanity of Jesus. He came as a child. And I'm oftentimes just overwhelmed by the thought that God himself came down as an infant. And I, I have a, I have a uh, what, five-month-old granddaughter, greatest thing in the world, grandkids, those many of you know about that you can always hand them back it's great um love on them hand them back it's great and yet here's this child who is totally helpless as we watched her as this little baby that just came out of the womb it's just like this child can do nothing and yeah that's how god came couldn't even change his own diaper that's just humiliating and yet he did that so here's this human baby coming and he, so he wanted the people to know there is a real king coming, and he's going to be born as a child. And it says, for un, and unto us a son. I really think this is referring to that kingship 
because the, you know, the line of the king of David and all of that, you needed a son. And so the son was very important in the, in the lineage of the, of the kingdom. And so he was hinting at the fact that this, this, this is going to be a child. He's not going to be a female. It's going to be a, a male. It's going to be a boy. And he's going to be, he's going to be in the line for the king kingdom. And, uh, and many times I've studied this verse, I've always loved the names that this child is given. Now, names are important. When, when my wife and I were having children, <clears throat> there were certain names we just could not choose. You know, there, there's just certain association with names, whether it's, it was people we had dated, uh, uh, people we had known. Uh, I can't call my child by that name, <laughs> you know. Uh, whatever it is, there's just name associations. Like there was just certain names that ain't going to work. And, and, and really for these people, names association were just as equally important. In fact, you see names being given all throughout scripture. They named everything, places uh, with very specific reasons for why they gave particular names. And as I studied this verse, the when I did this the first time, I was really disappointed because of all the titles of Jesus, the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords did not seem to be in this verse, but actually it is. And he, he just doesn't come out and say it in those terms. But that's what this term, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, really means. The government, the right to rule and reign, the dominance as governor, will be upon his shoulder. Now, you and I don't always think about this. What is the shoulder thing? Uh, but even today, if you watch the United Nations meetings, you will see these kings coming from these uh, Middle East countries, and they wear these very decorative robes, and usually over their shoulder they have a banner that represents who they are. You will oftentimes see it still. And that shoulder was the place that that was displayed. And so Isaiah was, was prophesying that this child was going to be a king, and he was going to have the right to rule and reign. Now, what just happened, though, in this one verse, in two sentences here, you have Isaiah predicting a future and a way future event. So Jesus was born with the right, but we don't see him become king of kings and lord of lords. In fact, we haven't seen it established on earth yet. Okay? Now, that's what confused the Jews in Jesus' day. They didn't get the separation of time in one verse. I'm not even sure Isaiah knew the separation of time that would happen. Because in verse 7, it continues, you know, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with ju judgment. There's coming a day when this is all going to happen. And it's going to be fulfilled in perfection on planet Earth. We'll see it instituted, but it doesn't mean he's not that already. He already has the right to rule and reign, and it's already on his shoulders. And someday, as we know from, um, from the New Testament, there is that day coming when he will physically step onto this earth and be king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is lord to the glory of God his Father. And we look forward to that. Now, what was this to the people in Isaiah's day? This is like, this was like this picture of hope. A son's coming. A new king is coming. And he's going to be able to rule. And he's going to be called wonderful. This has the idea of, I, in fact, if you just tear that verse apart in English, 
turn that verse, that word around, wonderful means full of wonder. This person was going to be full of wonder. When you look at him, you're going to say, that person is extraordinary. It makes me be in awe. What for a, for a, for a, what a comfort to a bunch of people who are like, you're, you mean we're all going to die? What's going to happen to our nation? But wait, there's coming a king. And this king is not going to be like any other king. He is going to be full of wonder and awe. He's going to be extraordinary. And then he says he's going to be counselor. Now, a counselor, uh, we, we, we kind of think of counselors in our day of age. You know, somebody that you sit across the table from and, you know, you spill all your problems to or whatever. And uh, that's not exactly the concept that Isaiah is going for here. Uh, this could have been the idea of strategist. This, this did have the idea of being a ruler in wisdom, the wisest ruler. In fact, there's, there's some debate whether or not there's supposed to be a comma between wonderful and counselor. Actually, it doesn't really matter to me because Jesus is both. He's wonderful, full of all, and he's a great counselor, and he is the most wonderful counselor. So however you want to look at it, it, it I, I agree with it all, okay? And so Jesus is going to show himself to be the wisest to, to this group of people. This had to be like, oh, wow, there's coming a king who's going to be extremely wise and an extremely wise strategist. They could have been thinking militarily. You know, they're thinking about Assyrians coming. They're thinking about a king who has to have an army. And so the promise was this is going to be an extraordinary person who is an extremely wise counselor. He's also called the mighty God. The mighty God here is the idea of the valiant warrior. Our God is the valiant warrior. In fact, when I first thought of this, in fact, I read it somewhere. It was the idea of like Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. What does that mean? He was like the best, brightest, strongest warrior that the Philistines had. That is the idea of compounded like 30-fold that Jesus is going to be called the mighty God, the, the successful, valiant warrior. What a, what a great idea, and, and, uh, and especially to these people who are like, we're going to lose our kingdom. But wait, there's a, there's a, there is a king coming who will be the most successful warrior you have ever seen in your life. What a, what a comfort it would have been to these people to know that that was going to come. And then he is called the Everlasting Father. And I've really had to step back and take a look at this one. What is he talking about by the word Everlasting Father? Everlasting, I think we all know what that means. It lasts forever and ever and ever. Finds itself. But Father. And, I, and several of the commentaries I read kind of differed in what, how they viewed this. The idea could be that the word father has the idea of origination. Satan was called the father of lies. He originated them. Okay? And so Jesus is the originator of forever. Jesus is the one who created all things. It might refer back to his ability to create. Um, and also, though, the idea of father has the idea of protection. So for a nation that was struggling, they're afraid of all the other nations coming in. They wanted 
They wanted a strategist. They wanted a military guy. And they wanted to feel safe with this king. And so this title of everlasting father, this one who is both the originator of all and the one who is like a father protecting the nation, this one again would have brought great comfort to the people in Israel or Judah. And then he is also called this last phrase, the Prince of Peace. Uh, and by the way, I, I, sh I guess I should probably go a little further. Some people get confused about Jesus being Father. How does that fit with the Trinity? Um, this has no reflection of the Trinity. Um, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no conflict here because Jesus is simply being pointed out as being the originator and the protector. It's not necessarily notating his part in the Trinity. In case you were wondering about that, several of the commentators mentioned that. But the Prince of Peace, Jesus is the one who brings fulfillment and righteousness to the earth. The idea of peace is the idea of completeness and wholeness and harmony and um, it's the idea of unimpaired relationships with others and the fulfillments of one's undertakings. Christ is the, going to be the only source of completeness and fulfillment. And for a nation that is trying to figure out what's about to happen to them, this had to be a great comfort that this king would become the one who would bring peace, security, comfort, completeness. He's going to fulfill the entire kingdom. And this promise that his, his rule is never going to end. And so Isaiah is, is, per, is predicting and foretelling all of this tragedy that's about to happen. Yet in the middle of that, he's going to say, but wait, I want you to know there is going to be a baby born. And he is going to bring everything you have ever wanted in a king. What a great comfort. That's the context in which the Israelites probably looked at this particular passage or this particular um, prophecy by Isaiah, but I think, I think we can go more than that because we've not only have this glimpse of what it looked like in the book of Isaiah, I think we have a context today, and I think we have a New Testament that takes a lot of these concepts and brings them into how it affects you and I today. We're not Israelites. We're not Jews, but yet this verse still can be very precious to us. Because unto us a child is born. And we all needed a child to be born because there was a redemption. There was salvation that needed to be procured. There was, there was a need for us to have a king. And Jesus came as a child. And he came as the son, the rightful heir. And even in his position as the Trinity, he is the son. He is the rightful heir of the throne. He is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. It is our opportunity right now as you and I sit here to allow him to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our life now. You see many times in the, in the New Testament in which Jesus is referred to as even Colossians 1.18 that in all things he might have the preeminence. In Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 4, Excuse me, Philippians 2. Where did I get Ephesians from? Philippians 2. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. 
oftentimes we like to look at Jesus as the Savior without looking at him as Lord. And even though I'm, I'm you know, I, you're here in a church in the middle of New England, I'm assuming you're here for a good reason today. But that doesn't mean that we don't all struggle at times with certain areas of our lives in which we struggle letting him be Lord. We're, we're all tempted to go our own way, as Isaiah wrote in 50, Isaiah 53. We're all tempted to go our own way. And we can look right, dress right, attend church, and Jesus really not be Lord, preeminent, first place above all else in our lives. And Jesus came so that he could be Lord. So we have this great opportunity to allow him to be Lord now and lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Or we can resist him as Lord, even though we can acknowledge him as Lord, we can resist his lordship in our life, his right to be king in our life. And that obviously brings consequence. He is king of kings, and he is currently lord of lords. But that's not all he is. We also know him to be wonderful. Do you take time to stop and think and be full of wonder at who Jesus is? Do you ever just sit back in awe and go, wow, did he really do all that? Is he really all of that for me? When we realize who Jesus is, not necessarily just as his lordship, but just in his mercy and his grace and his love and his kindness to us, it should cause us to draw back and go, whoa. It should cause our mouth to drop open. I'm sure some of you are like me and you have probably tried to imagine what your first meeting with Jesus will look like. I really haven't come up with a good conclusion yet. Am I gonna am I gonna fall flat on my face? Or am I gonna run up and give him a hug? I don't know which which one's gonna happen. I, I kind of suspect that I'm probably gonna be so overwhelmed with who this person is that I'll probably fall flat on my face. I think that's a good response. <laughs> But if you think about that day, it's going to be an awesome, full of wonder kind of moment. But you and I can enjoy that in the quietness of our own time as we look at who Jesus is, as he revealed himself to us, and be full of wonder of who our God is. And not only that, he is our counselor. He is the great strategist. He is the wisest advisor. Whether it's military or not, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. As I thought about this, I thought about the fact that oftentimes when I have an issue in my life, Jesus is not necessarily the first person I go to. I'll just be candid enough to say that sometimes I'm thinking about who can help me with this problem. So I think about my dad. I obviously think about my wife. I think about other friends that can give godly counsel. And then at, at some point it's like... Um, Maybe you should talk to God about it. Maybe just lay it out in front of God. <laughs> Maybe you should read. Maybe God has something to say about that. 
And I've been very, I'm very convicted by that because sometimes Jesus isn't my first thought. And yet he is considered the most wonderful counselor. And that's his title. I should be running to him. Of course, it takes a lot of humility to go to a counselor and say, I have a problem. And it takes a lot of humility to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a problem. Who, by the way, is not shocked that you have a problem. <laughs> he's kind of already aware of it. But not only that, but he's, he's called the mighty God. We have a view sometimes that God is distant. God has given us his words. But sometimes it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to do much when we're facing temptation. When we're, we're in the middle of the heat of the battle, maybe our flesh is tempted to be angry. Or maybe we're tempted to worry, fear. Maybe we're tempted to, uh, to lust, to desire to have something that we shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, God seems like he's a million miles away. We have a God who's been promised to be our mighty God, our valiant warrior. And in the New Testament, he tells us over and over again that we don't have to give in to temptation. We are required to be part of the process, yes. But Jesus demonstrated for us in Matthew 4 how to say no to temptation. How do you say no to temptation? You take the words of God and you obey them. That is simply how we say no to temptation. Because there's no temptation taken us, but as such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it, to endure it. There are promises that our God is mighty. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty, powerful, to the pulling down of strongholds. This is who our God is. And yet sometimes in the middle of temptation, it just seems like I'm not sure that God can really help me win this battle. I just want to encourage you today. Your God has promised to be the successful warrior, the valiant warrior. He can help you. But he's not going to just lift you up and magically move you. And remember that God has a reason for allowing temptation into your life. God is building endurance spiritually in your life. And so he uses difficulty and temptations to build us. He allows those things to come into our life for a reason. He is our mighty God. And then he's our father forever. What does a father do? Sometimes I, I really struggle when I talk to teenagers who don't have a good dad. Renee works fairly closely with a young lady who has no dad, her dad's in prison. Her view of God is distorted. Thankful for a dad who was not perfect, but he did his best to tell me who God was. And he did his best to live it out. And that dad of mine brings great comfort to me. 
that is who our God wants to be to us. A God of great comfort, of security. You may, you may have not have had a good dad, but I just want you to know that dad that brings security and comfort and peace, you have a God who will bring you that same security and peace. And he has revealed himself to you. He's written an autobiography about himself. And he wants you to spend time with him. Um, Renee was sharing with me, she counsels a lot of girls at, at the school. And she was sharing with me how she was communicating with a girl who was trying to do right, really didn't spend a lot of time with God. And she used this, can I borrow this illustration from you? My wife is very wise. She said, if you, you told the young lady, now, if, if you spend five minutes a day for a whole year playing basketball, will you get better? If you spent 15 minutes a day playing basketball, will you get better? Well, yeah. If you spent an hour a day, oh, man, you'd be, you'd be like way better. And Renee turned that back around and said, if you spend five minutes a day, will you be better? If you spend 15 minutes a day, if you spend an hour a day, and the girl's eyes lit up like, oh, our father wants to, us to have a relationship with him. And he can bring that peace and security, but if we, if we don't know him, we lose out on that relationship. Now, I, sometimes I feel like I'm speaking to the choir, Sunday morning church. But I think all of us can use the challenge. Do you spend time with God? Do you relate with God? I'm not just talking about doing your devotions as a ritual, religious ritual thing that we do. But really spending time with God. God, tell me. Show me who you are. And then sit back in meditation and be full of wonder about this God, this wonderful father. And he's a father forever. He never is going to back out on you, ever. We have a hard time understanding that. Because sometimes our human fathers fail us. And if they don't even fail us, they do pass away. And yet God said, I'm never going to go anywhere. I am the father forever. And the last thing he said is he is the prince of peace. If you hear anything in the news, you hear there's a lot of not peaceful things going on in the world. The world talks about peace, current wars going on across the globe. This world is not at peace. It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is coming and he will bring complete peace across this planet. But he'll also bring complete peace to us personally. He is the ruler of tranquility. And yet, I have a bad habit of trying to find other things to bring me peace and fulfillment in my life. As a man, it's not uncommon for me to get my eyes off of Christ and onto other things for my fulfillment. And as a man, that oftentimes is my job, which ironically is a ministry <laughs> that's supposed to be done for God. My job will never bring me complete fulfillment. 
Nothing I fix or create or do will ever bring complete fulfillment. There's only one person who gets that. Ladies are more relational, typically speaking. There's not a relationship you ladies can ever have that's going to bring complete fulfillment to you other than the relationship you have with Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And if we don't have peace on the inside, it's because we're looking to other other avenues for peace instead of looking to our Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So what do you think of when you hear the names of Jesus this morning? As you come into this season of celebration, may this be a great time of celebration as you remember your King of Kings and your Lord of Lords. This world is not out of control. Can I repeat that? The world is not out of control. God, God has it all. Everything's fine. It looks out of control. It looks chaotic. And indeed it is. But it's not out of his hands. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Let's make him that. And if there's an area of your life this morning that you know is not under the control or the submission of your lord, Jesus, then today's a good day to make those things right. Do you... Do you find that Jesus causes you to sit back and wonder in awe? I encourage all of us to take some time this, this season to sit back in awe and wonder of what it must be like for the God of the universe to humiliate himself to come as a baby, to even come as a human. Do you find your comfort in your great counselor? Or have you found yourself running to other counselors? Nope, that's not always bad, by the way. But our greatest counselor, do you trust in God to help you fight your battles, especially against temptation that bombard us all every single day? The Prince of Peace, excuse me, the Everlasting Father, do you find comfort knowing that Jesus will never abandon you, he's never going to leave you alone, he's always going to protect you? And do you look for Jesus to be your Prince of Peace, your peace, your fulfillment in life? Or have you attempted something on this earthly level to try to meet those needs? There's so many great things for us to celebrate. Jesus came so that he could be given to you. And I think I'd be amiss if I just don't say it. If you have never received Christ this morning, Jesus came so he could be given. If you need him, please receive him. He came and died so that we could have eternal life. And if you have received him, let's give him out to someone else this Christmas season. I don't know about you, but I don't like saying happy holidays to that cashier. If they say happy holidays to me, it's like, Merry Christmas to you. Because I want them to know they can have the merriest of Christmas. Because Jesus came. So thankful for this verse. Tucked away right here in Isaiah chapter 9. Let's, in, let's inten intentionally celebrate our wonderful Lord. Can we pray together this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you that you came as a child for us. You, you told us that you came so you could be given. I thank you for allowing us to take you. Thank you for being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you so much for being a wonderful counselor 
You are beyond our imagination, our comprehension. You are the wisest of all wisdom. You are the mighty God. You are also our everlasting Father. You are also the person in whom we can find complete peace and fulfillment. May we celebrate you. You are worthy of being celebrated. May we enjoy each other as we enjoy worshiping and celebrating you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done for us. You're such a wonderful, wonderful Savior.